What's happening, guys? You have made it. You've made it here for the very first episode of Creating Space, and I'm so excited that you've done just that. My name is Wes Knight, and you're witnessing a transition, the transition of a kid who was a former pro athlete in another life, and now transitioning into just a tad bit more. And what I'm doing with Creating Space is opening up dialogue. My hopes is to create a conversation with influential individuals around the world to allow them to tell their story. What's happened in their story that's been unique, what has been some of the trials that they have gone through, some adversity that they've suffered, and what have been their triumphs, and what has been the catapult to launch them to the places that they are now. And that's how I learn best. I learn through conversation. I learn through sharing of ideas, sharing of experiences, and Creating Space will do just that. Now, in the first episode, we have Mark W. Wright, 15 years ESPN as a writer, editor, and now a producer. He's producing a brand new ESPN short called Redemption Song, which premieres, oddly enough, in two days, June the 10th. And Mark Wright will tell us a little bit about his journey to becoming an artist. He'll tell a little bit about what storytelling is all about, how he became a storyteller. And he'll also tell us a little bit about that adversity that life threw at him, where he learned that his wife had breast cancer and what that journey was like and how he learned to communicate with his wife in such a unique way and how it launched him to another side of his career and another side of his family and another side of himself. So let's check it out. The very first episode with my good friend, Mr. Mark W. Wright. How are we doing, my man? West Knight, I'm good, man. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. It feels so nice being welcomed into your home and this office, this space that you have created interestingly enough, just feels like magic, man. I can see how some of the things that you've done here have been so impactful. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm happy you're here. I'm, I'm happy to have you here. I, I like that you appreciate this space because I look around and I just see chaos. <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit of a chaos, but it's, uh, it's symbolic of an artist. There is some calm to your storm here and you're very comfortable in this space, which is very cool to see. You're right. Definitely. And I can't take all the credit. You know, my, my better half, Mrs. Heather Keats Wright, is also an artist. She's also a journalist, a much better storyteller than I am, a much funnier writer. Where is she right and now? She is in Greensboro right now, holding me down. So work. the house becomes chaotic when she leaves, I can only assume. Absolutely. <laughs> so I have about six hours to clean this mess up. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got two younger sons, yeah. uh, one by which plays for me, Max. Yeah. The younger Marco will... In a couple of years, we hope, fingers crossed. Do they run the roost when she's not around? Uh, no, they don't run the roost. Marco's the younger of the two boys, but I think once he grows into himself, eventually he'll run the roost. I hate to say it, but it, it's going to happen. I love it. I love it. I, guys, uh, I have to paint a picture of Mark for you guys. Um, we're sitting in his office. There's a massive ESPN soccer jersey that's been framed over his back it's incredibly symbolic of just kind of what he's created in his time in ESPN but at the same time he's wearing a, a Bob Marley shirt that shows the contrast of just what he is such a a junkyard dog which is serendipitously enough his nickname but yet such a cool calm and collected figure that I'm so pumped for, for episode one, man. So thank you for coming on to the show. Man, it's my pleasure. Checks in the mail to you. <laughs> Keep it coming, man. Hey, make sure it's six figures. <laughs> you know, all peanuts. But, uh, you know, you're from England. We're born in England. Went and were, was raised in Jamaica, although not much of an accent. Mm -hmm. When and how and why are you in 
Gastonia, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're both sitting down. Because when people yes. ask me where I'm from, I tell them, please sit down. <laughs> Not because I'm long-winded, because it's a long story. Sure. Born in England to Jamaican parents, okay? My, my Jamaican parents, when they were uh, teenagers, my dad was a teenager, my mom was in her early 20s. Uh, it, was, it was typical of people of their generation to go to England because much of the Caribbean was under British rule at the time. Mm -hmm. So they could go there and pursue their career paths, get an education. So it was really a path that everybody took if they were offered the opportunity. So what path was that? Where, where, was, where were my, your parents My at? mom wanted to be a nurse, and she, she retired as a nurse. Cool. Uh, and my dad, uh, I don't know if he wanted to be a welder, but he became a welder and made a career of that and also taught uh, for much of his career. So your mom's a healer. Yep. Dad's a teacher. And that's created a journalist. Tell me a little bit about how you came to be a journalist. Good question. Um, so just to finish out the story, born in England, went to Jamaica, went back home. So the plan is go to England, pursue your career, but always go back home to build a home and you know, plant your seeds there. Sure. Right? So that's what we did. My sister and I, my older sister, Fiona, who's four years older than me, we went back home and from... I was two and a half years old, she was six, and from two and a half to 12, we lived in Jamaica. Came to America on my 12th birthday. I went to junior high school and high school, and I remember after uh, finishing high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't really sure, but now that I think back, I knew I was destined to be a storyteller. Never a shy kid, ever, never a shy kid. Kinda out there, I think I got that personality from my dad a little bit, he was a jokester. Right. Very now he's just a, a teddy bear, but he walked in a room and with those big shoulders, they would know here comes Brother Wright. You know <laughs> he would just light up a room. Love it. So, but I fell in love with writing in high school. Okay. And I was always a sports guy, and I remember I love mom. I love my mom, but I right. remember telling my mom, "Listen, mom, I would stay up late watching you know sports, watching the NBA on CBS, Brent Musburger, and watching soccer and all Who that." Who are the individuals that you were drawn to as athletes? Those uh, that you were watching, well, telling well, stories. Well, it's funny. American football. Uh, we didn't see any of that in in Jamaica. Cool. But I came here, and I remember, remember my aunt, who we came and lived here with. And when she turned on the TV, she's just kind of walking us through. Okay, this is the bathroom. This is the TV. She turned the TV on. It was a Sunday. She it was on Channel Nine, CBS. Okay. And it was a Sunday. It was one o'clock, and and the Redskins were playing. And I uh, fell in love with the Redskins. Wow. And I fell in love with John Riggins. Okay. Uh, the the Hall of Fame running back, and he wore number forty four, and so I wore number forty four in junior high school when I played soccer because wow. that was my first love. Okay. So I never changed the channel. So I watched. All things CBS, all things Channel Nine. Got it. Because in Jamaica we had one channel. <laughs> she only showed me one channel. And that's so what you were used to. I just to never channel. touched the clicker. <laughs> that is, that is amazing. How one individual at that time had so much impact and influence on the decisions that you made, and you were so compelled to that channel. You didn't want to. You didn't want to leave it. No, no. And so storytelling was always a part of your life from top to bottom. Tell me a little bit about how you realized that that was a talent of yours. Well, I think once I got to college, and I think for the first two years, I always knew I wanted to be a journalist. I always knew I wanted to tell stories. I, again, I wasn't shy, but I knew I had to get better as a writer. I had to get better as an editor. And everybody actually wanted to be a writer. You know, everyone wanted to be a writer. And I remember one of my journalism professors said, listen, you, in order to be a, write, a good writer, you need to know how to edit. Oh, and okay. so 
that's not a sexy route for people to take when you're young, right? So he right. said, trust me, take this route. Go hone your editing skills and you'll become a better writer. You'll be able to make writers better. And it was the best move that I ever made because there are more internship opportunities on the editing track. Ah. Everybody's going over here to the writing track. And so... You took the path, let's take I did, I did. And it really worked out for me uh, getting opportunities at those other yahoos who weren't smart enough to listen to. So maybe because you were editing other writers and seeing how they were building their stories, then you were, circumstantially enough, building your own voice by editing everyone else. That's, that's actually pretty That's incredible. exactly what happened. And here's the secret to being a good editor. You don't have to rewrite everybody's stuff. As a good editor, you need to read something for what it is. Right. And if you're a really good editor, a writer won't even know that his story or his or her story has been edited. You so know? how do you create that ability to mask yourself within the masterpiece? Take yourself out of it. Ah. I wouldn't say it that way, <laughs> but he said it that way. Got it. And it makes sense. It does make sense, take yourself, Take yourself out of it. Understand the voice by which the artist is coming from yeah. and speak true to that as you're editing. It's not about you. Yeah. Wow. And, I, and I learned that very early on. That, that serves you in life, doesn't it? Yeah. Learning. Sounds like you learned early on that life's not about you. Hard for somebody like like me with a personality like. What do you mean, the junkyard dog? The junkyard dog, <laughs> the person who is a go getter. You know, I, I'll smile with you, but I'm I'm stepping on your toes if you're in my way. Okay, so that's where the junkyard dog thing. So tell me how that aspect, the balance of that in your life. Tell me, tell me how you've learned over time to step back. Are there any are there any occasions, experiences where you had to learn that lesson? It was a hard lesson. Every single day I yeah. learned that lesson. I struggle with that every single day of my life. Okay. But here's how I get through it. Most people in the world, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry if this is going to come off as sounding a little too harsh, but most people in the world cannot communicate with, with the written word. If you ask them to sit down and tell me how you feel, Right or right. report on something that happened earlier this morning and write it down in 50 words or less. Just yeah. tell me what happened. They can't do it. No it's way. a specialized skill. So I got good at that. So sometimes it's hard to sit in front of somebody and tell them how you feel. But you know what? When If you have some time and can put your thoughts down on paper, that gets you through a lot of doors. Wow. That wow. gets you through a lot of doors because you can say it the way you want to say it. You know, the infamous drafts folder. Yeah. Don't send the first draft. Okay. Tweak it, massage it, and uh, maybe by draft three, it'll sound like exactly how you want to convey it. You only get one shot when you talk to somebody. You're person. right. You're right. And, and, you know, I tend in my life to see that I'm so haste. You know, I have, there's such a haste in everything that I'm doing because in society now, mm -hmm. it's, you know, how quickly can you do things? And, and I'm learning, or that's interesting that you should say that, that you have to take time when you're developing your voice, even when you're journaling. You know, it's okay to spend time with yourself and learn. You learn more about yourself as you as it goes through your written word. That's that's incredible. Mm -hmm. What are what are some of the favorite pieces that you have written in your time? I think the favorite or most impactful uh, piece uh, that I've ever written. I actually co-wrote it with my wife, who is I'm, I'm proud to say is a breast cancer survivor, and uh, that's I think I, I think in 2012. While we were going through treatment and her and her battle, and she was such a hero, a heroine, she, she was just so strong and brave. And I was having my own battles, dealing with that, holding the family down. That was a battle in itself. I remember we were in Jamaica in, in early 2013, 
And she was still kind of going through it, coming out of it at that point. And I was sitting on the beach. I had a red stripe. And the kids were in the pool. And she was writing. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm just writing. She's always writing. And um, She's a journalist as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, a much better writer than I am. <laughs> and so we, we decided at that point to tell her story. Talk about what she's gone through, how, when we found out, how we felt, when we told the kids, what words we use, how to tell the people, how to tell her boss, all that stuff. So we decided, let's just go write that story. And we couldn't agree on how to write it because I said, listen, how I feel, you don't even know how I feel. You don't even know what I'm going through. And I don't even know what you're going through. So let's do a his and hers. Wow. And so we did the his and hers. And Without even knowing anything about what the other no, was writing. No, Completely separate. Yeah, completely separate. Experiences. Completely separate. Now, we, we got together beforehand to say, okay, we're going to talk about pre, during, and post, right? And that was pretty much the guidebook that we had for each other. And I remember writing the first draft. And I remember showing it to her and she being immediately impressed. And let me tell you. I don't really care about anybody else's. If Heather Keach Wright says what you've written is some good shit, <laughs> it's probably good. She definitely. Yeah, she she. It's probably good. Definitely. So I was like, all right, that gave me the impetus to kind of keep going. And of course, you know, this was so personal for her. I was in no position to say it's not good or it's not bad. It was good. Okay. So that piece eventually got published in Essence magazine, um, one of the most um, well-known magazines in publishing. And we have friends there, and so we, we got published there. And the, the, mag, the article really just, thanks to social media, went all over the world. And people kept hitting us and saying, we're moved by your story. Men in particular hit me and said, thank you, brother, for sharing your story. I'm going through that. I didn't have the words, thank you. So that was, that was the most impactful. That's incredible. Uh, uh, you piece. were essentially pouring your heart out to your spouse Yep. In a way, in communicating in a way that society does not typically pour themselves out. So what is something that you learned about Heather? What's the most impactful thing you learned about your spouse through peering through her experience through her own eyes? I just think that her strength, you know, she's so strong. You will not know how strong a woman is until you've seen her give birth. Wow. All right. Okay. And I, and I saw that. And literally, there's pain before leading up to the delivery all right just in my experience there's pain there's back pain all that but when a woman decides it's time to get this thing out of me (laughs) there's no pain fierce heather was pissed off got it she was just like let's get this done (laughs) and that's what you know seeing her go through this that's what it was reminiscent of to me there were there were a few days of oh woe is me and none of that she was like look this thing is a nuisance. Mm. Let's get it done. Let's get it out of here. And I think that ultimately became the medicine for her victory. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. She is a, a fighter. She's a leader of the family. She's a fierce presence. I can attest to that. However, she's got such a joyful vibe. I've, I've seen her on camera dancing and, and being uh, so incredibly unnerved about what anyone would think about her and, and it's such a good balance oh she's a fool between. no doubt about it no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's incredible <laughs> full personality and it's yeah. you know it's it's no wonder that the balance between you guys is where it is now yep tell me what that experience how it created space in your life for a new version of of Mark Wright, a new version of Heather Keats right how did yep. it create space in your life for something new? well I'll say this right so Mark Wayne Wright 
it's still a work in progress, mm. right? I have my struggles. I have my things that gnaw at me every day. Gotcha. But I know, I know what my strengths are. And I think going through that experience, it, was a, it wasn't a slap in the face. It was more like a, a, a kick in the jaw. Right. Uh, that, you know what? You're not that important. Mm. Get over yourself. Mm. Get over your job. Get over your boss. There are other things that are more, more important than all of that. Yeah, and I I really think that it was I don't think it broke my jaw. I definitely got a concussion, <laughs> right? Where yeah. I got that reality, just like okay. And I think it allowed me maybe momentarily, and momentarily might have been a year or two years, to just kind of step the hell back, mm. right? Got it. Uh, at least for a moment. And the the most difficult part of of that whole thing was obviously seeing her struggle. That was tough. I actually wanted I I I, I wished it was me. I, I really wished it was me wow. going through that because no matter what anybody tells you, I'm an awesome guy. Sure. I got my fans or maybe one, but Heather Keats right is the most important person in this family. Okay. The kids will get over me sure. not being around. Right. It's going to really be tough for them not to have their mom. So I'm like, you know what? I saw that. Right, because that's what an experience like that will do to you. It'll bring reality to you, right? Right. So, not that I wish that would happen. I'm not even putting that out and out there to be soaked up. But that's just what I realize. That again, it's not about you. Uh, it it really isn't about you. Wake up and smell the coffee. So now, as a father, with that with that newfound pair of of, of glasses or lenses yep. that you're seeing the world through, how has it impacted you as a father in the way that you're teaching these? young human beings about life and about adversity and what it how vastly important it is to your development as a human being how does that change the way you parented well, after that experience we and I know me personally I started doing things uh, I started adding things to my repertoire if you will we would of course if all the stars of a lot are aligned we're going to school we would have a moment and we'll you know we'll say a quick prayer ask for safety and ask for everybody's protection right cool maybe not every day but sometimes, right? That's just something that you did. If we're watching TV and we see a teachable moment, we could stop the TV and say, okay, guys, what do you think of this? Right. Just um, stopping and like living in the moment. Sure. I wish it was something that we did every day, every two hours. But I know that that's something I personally have implemented in my own life. And okay. maybe as a parent, maybe as a son, maybe as a brother, I just feel like these are moments that you have to stop back and let them kind of sink in. Right. I almost want to, I don't want to uh, rush my life, but I'm looking forward to the kids getting older mm. and having an opportunity to talk about their upbringing. Mm. Just to hear what they Get feedback. Yeah, you just to, to hear feedback. what, I don't want to rush it. I don't sure. want to rush it. But I know that they're going to say some things that will go, God, they were listening. Right. Point. Uh, now, what it sounds like to me is you're teaching your kids uh, the valuable lesson of intention, of understanding the moment, recognizing when there are learning moments, reflecting on maybe their own viewpoints, and then reassessing and, and reevaluating themselves moving forward. So has there been any sort of bonus, per se, that this this whole process, this evolution of Mark Wright, how it has benefited you. Because now, listen, you're about to debut Redemption Song, which is a little Spike Lee joint, okay. about to hit the air, the, the video and airwaves all over America. You're busting into a brand new version of yourself. Yeah. 
Tell me, tell me the link between those things. Well, I think uh, that little Spike Lee joint, uh, Redemption song, I think that, that experience and being a producer on that film has impacted my life. I mean, it, it really has. It's, it's allowed me to reconnect with my, with my school, Howard University, my former high school coach, and really relive his experiences. And that's a story that's going to touch people around the world, okay. throughout the Caribbean, Africa, because these, this is where those players came from. And you know, there might be some people who might be listening, and I, I hope they're just a small number of them, not a big number, but there might be some people saying that I might be overstating this. And I, I really hope that what they hear from me is humility. I'm not overstating when I tell you that I've seen where a, a short 16-minute film like this might impact somebody's life. And it's going to impact more than one person's life. Sure. So I'm really looking forward to June 10th, 6 p.m. on ESPN during the Evening Sports Center. I'm really uh, looking forward to getting the feedback. We premiered the film two weeks ago at Howard University in Crampton Auditorium. Uh, an auditorium I walk past every day as a student. And here it is. Fast forward a few years and I'm hosting a party for 700 people, and I'm on stage talking about Redemption Song. Wow. Blow my mind. Wow. So wow. I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm overstating. That's not ego. That's not bravado. That's just, it, it made an impact. So tell me this. For those of our listeners who aren't sure Redemption Song, what is that? Sell it to them. Sure. Sell Redemption Song to them in two to three sentences. Oh, wow. So Redemption Song is the title of an upcoming short movie executive produced by Spike Lee about Howard University's 1971 and 1974 national championship soccer teams. Okay, and in the national championship soccer teams in that era was a very heated racial and cultural society. Tell me a little bit more about that. So Howard University is a historically black college and university, one of the most prestigious ones in the world. Students from all over the world want to go there. This is 1970, 71, 2, 3, 4. It's uh, Vietnam still going on. Right. Uh, racial tensions in America as heated. You think today's heated? Times that by 100. Explode. And there's no iPhones and videos to record the ish that was really going on in America at the Got time. Got it. And so we're talking about soccer, football here, where big around the world, not so big in America in 1970, 71, 2, 3, and 4. Okay. So you have these brothers... Uh, this team, made up of brothers from all over the diaspora and the Caribbean, playing the game a different way, making these predominantly white schools look foolish with the rhythm and the, and the flavor and just playing the game like Barcelona plays yeah, today. Yeah, okay. And you know what? It made a, it made a few people mad. It, made, it, it put a bad taste in people's mouths. Right. However, these guys were a voice for people sure. that didn't necessarily have a voice at that time. So people rallied around them. So you can see the dichotomy between the two. Got it here. Got it. And, and in cultural society today, it is time. It's time for them to have their redemption. It's time for their story to be told because it is a time where it can be received in the right way. And you're telling that story serendipitously enough. Telling that story 40 years later. So that story has been buried for 40 years. It's been told in bits and pieces, but never really fully told. So all these athletes who are now in their mid to late 60s are so appreciative that somebody gave two you-know-whats about their story that right. really impacted their lives. So I'm really 
really super excited about that. And that's what I mean when I overstated before that I think this story uh, will make an impact. And you know what? It's different times now. It's 40 years later. Can Howard University get back to that level? Uh, probably not. The landscape of soccer has changed. The best players will go to the best programs that have the most money to get, yeah, right? It's Equipment. the system. That's just how it is right now. Sure. Uh, but can it give a boost to their program? Sure it will. So that, And that's what I'm hoping. And, and, and ultimately, I'm hoping that these players will get their opportunity to go to the White House and get their medal so from the president, whoever he or she ends up being. Wow, I'm, I'm rooting for this story to really catch a blaze throughout the U.S. because I think it's, it is for the right reasons. It is for the right reasons. And as a footballer, retired footballer, I know just what it takes to get to the t top level, become a championship squad, and then continue to pursue that greatness. It, it, there's so much that goes behind the scenes, and I've never had to deal with some of the things they've had to deal with. So that's incredible. I cannot wait to, to see it. So, Mark, it's incredible to think where you're headed, right? Producing that, going from a writer and an editor, or first an editor, yep. and then to a writer, and now a producer, What's next? What's I, next? I had to update my LinkedIn profile <laughs> and add producer to that. Okay. That was cool. That's a good feeling. That was very cool. To be honest with you, I don't know what next. I know what I would like to do. I, I would like to tell more stories like this. Cool. I think I fell in love with the art of storytelling again. Okay. And just last night at dinner, we had some friends over, and, and uh, this, this mutual friend asked my soon-to-be 15-year-old, so what's the career path? What are you doing? And he said, ah, something with content. First of all, he's a genius. He's going to do, scholastically, he's just off the map, smart, right, right. way smarter than his parents. And so he's like, ah, something with content, something with, uh, and he's trying to figure it out. It's early. Yeah. He's like, something with content. And you know, my, you know, the bing, light yeah. bulb went off. And I'm like, he is in love with the, with the art form, with the storytelling already. You can see it. Incredible. That's how I talk to him. You know, Got we it. were talking about, I don't want to sidetrack you, but we were talking about the NBA playoffs and the Warriors and OKC and LeBron. And I said, we've seen the Warriors story. We've seen it. We saw it last year. Right. They had a great year, 73 wins. I get it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the most impactful story is for LeBron Cleveland. to and Cleveland Believe to win me. a championship yeah. because think of the impact that it will have on not just Akron, but all of Cleveland and maybe the world. They right? need it so much. And they're like, Dad, you're telling a story again. <laughs> I guess I am. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, you know, the magic that starts from inside of you yep. and your wife, which explodes here in this office where we sit today, and you are able to exude it so much that your kids are now picking up on it. That is what life is really about to me. Living with passion, finding what you're truly good at, and exuding that, adding that value into society. I think you have created true space yeah. in your house and lived through that life. And that is, uh, you know, I, I need to tell this story uh, of how we met and why yep. all this means so much and why you were the first person that I wanted to select for creating space. Because when I retired, uh, I took on this coaching job at the Carolina Rapids. And I can remember the very first day when you came and brought Max to training. Um, I've always lived with a very strong intuition, and I remember seeing you pull up in your in your vehicle. Let, let, let's not be 
um, sideways about it in your Land Rover and, and <laughs> a bit of a moxie about you. And I remember looking and, and thinking to myself and my intuition went off and it was just like, this guy is going to teach you something. And I, you know, I can't explain. I'm sure we all have times in our lives where that inner voice has guided us. And you have. I've taken you on as a mentor. You've shown me what it's like to, to be a good family man and a businessman all at the same time. You've, been, you've included me into your family. And I'm so appreciative for that opportunity for you to mentor, coach, and impact my life. So kudos to you uh, in living the type of life and being the type of individual that I you know, aspire to be. I'm walking in my light. And to round this out, to really round this out, I, I want to do like a lightning round of questions. Just really quick, off top, first things that come to your mind. Okay. okay? First thing is, if you're stranded on an island, Mark, right, kind of like cast away, uh, and you're lose, gradually use, losing your mind, and all you've got is a piece of paper and a pen, and what you have to write is something to yourself. One thing, maybe memory, idea, way of thought, you want to write to yourself. So you don't, if you do lose your mind in hopes that you can recapture, what would it be from your life? That's a good one. Um, I think I would write down the names of all my family members. Okay. Wow. I think I'd write down all their names and maybe just a note. So I'd write Derek B. Wright, dad. Darth M. Wright, mom. Fiona B. Wright, sister, and so on and yeah, so forth, and it. write down as many family members as I can recall, right? Because that's a great exercise for everybody. Sure. Write down all your cousins. <laughs> yeah, even, good luck. Yeah, before, before you uh, lose your mind. Can you imagine, <laughs> right? So I think I would do that, which I would hope would trigger memories wow. later on. Wow. So word association. Yep. And that is what you're about. Family mm -hmm. is the most important thing to you. Uh, that's fantastic. I, I like that. I like that. I think... Fam, I, that resonates with me, and family's the most important thing in this life, I think. Yep. That's incredible. Next one. If you could only eat one place for the rest of your life, and you had to write an excerpt about it to be able to explain to society why you want to eat there, because you are a foodie, mm. and you want to get the message out, and that's the last place you can eat, and the last piece of... of uh, art you could write where would it be and how would you write well, uh, it doesn't have to be a restaurant it does not anything uh, you've experienced in your time maybe caribbean food sure well it's definitely caribbean food and i'm trying to think of of the location of the venue um it it, it would probably be n no disrespect to my mom who's a great cook sure but I remember Thanksgiving at my aunt's house, my mother's sister's house in Washington, D.C. There was always drama. Okay. Because you know, somebody, we'd stay there too long, you know, when family members hang out for too long, somebody's going to say something to piss somebody off. Okay. And so Thanksgiving dinners at my aunt's house were always fun. And she's an awesome cook. And so if I could go back and have one of those dinners with all the family members... I'd probably want to do that and be able to sit down and, and write about that. Ah, uh, more family. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Super yeah. important. I love it. Yeah, that was fun. I love it. And, and I think going back to your roots is really important to you as well. Yeah. Really important. And that's, that's so fantastic. Which is why, and I wanted to mention, the title of the movie, Redemption Song, really goes back to my roots. Because mm. if uh, some of your reggae aficionados uh, listening would know that 
Bob Marley's 1981 Uprising album. I believe it's the 10th track, Redemption Song. Wow. Uh, is the title of the song. And, and uh, you know, Bob Marley passed away in 1981. And he wrote that song earlier. And it was just, it's really his probably signature song. Absolutely. But it has nothing to, the title of the film has nothing to do with the song. Sure. Coach Lincoln Phillips said, we had to win that game, that championship in 74 because it was redemption. Yes. And I just added something. Nailed it. Yeah. Just like that. He's, he just gave it to me. Just like that. He put it into your head. Yep. And the rest was history. Yep. Last thing I want to do with you, Mark, is going to be a thing of mine moving forward in all of my podcasts to end each session with an intention that you will set for both you and I sharing the space that you have created moving forward. I'd like for you to set the intention. We'll let it fly once you've done it. And we'll, we'll keep moving in this world to affect people in society positively. So I, I'll give you the floor to set any sort of intention moving forward. Well, I think um, I've been um, a, a mentor for a really long time, even before I knew what that was. I just think that I make connections easy and I keep connections. I will text a buddy or call a buddy who I haven't talked to in five years and just say, hey man, just checking on you. How you doing? Yeah. Right? That That's what I do. And I think I want to do more of that. Okay. And I know sometimes you get caught up and you kind of lose track, but I think I want to do more of that, whether it's with family or just people who I know can, I can, I can help or they can help me. I want to do more of that. Do it. So do I want to, you know, plant that seed in my head, say it here for all to hear. Okay. Um, but okay. you know, be- before, we, we also have to talk about, I want to ask you one question if I could. Uh, hit me with it. And, you know, the name of this uh, podcast, Creating Space. Sure. Sounds like two words that really kind of go together. But why creating space? Why not mind over something else? Or, <laughs> or the, the power of positive thinking or sure. something like that. Where did creating space come from? Well, creating space to me is the, le- the biggest lesson that life has given me. Um, because, as you all know, I was a was a professional footballer, soccer player, and my identity was ridiculously wrapped inside of that. I uh, in, inside of being a soccer player, and life removed that for some time uh, with an injury, a devastating knee injury, and and here uh, I am standing today. That once that space was created in my life, I was filled with so many other things, uh, and life really hit me. Uh, it wasn't about soccer anymore. It was about, holy smokes, who is this guy in front of the mirror? And what does he care about? And what is he about? And what's his legacy in the world? So creating space is about learning through your adversity, growing through your adversity, and impacting, giving back from the things that you learn to add value into society. So creating space uh, is this in a nutshell. Chatting talking about why you've become a better person, how you've gotten there. And I'm learning, the, the listeners are learning, and hopefully you'll learn as well moving forward. That, that's really what creating space is to me. And as a footballer, because I know a little bit about football, yeah. soccer, you need to create space for yourself to receive the ball sure. and create space for yourself, get away from that defender so you right. can do something with the ball and create an opportunity for another player, right? So it makes sense. Well, let's let's be honest. Um, the most important part of any game is scoring. 
uh, right? And in order for you to score, you have to create space between, in soccer, the hands of the goalkeeper and the, and the insides of the post. So um, that is what it is. Creating space, uh, it's valuable, and life does it to everyone. I just want to illuminate that process, mm-hmm. chat about it, learn from it, and uh, give it. Mm-hmm. Pass it away. Mm-hmm. Pass it on. Pass received, bro. There it is, buddy. Hey, Absolutely. this is... Uh, been such a good time. <laughs> Episode one, Creating Space with Mark Wright. Check him out. So much he has done and so much he will continue to do. And I'm so, so thankful that I'm in your presence, man. Excellent. Well, listen, awesome, uh, Godspeed to you. Continue okay. doing what you're doing. Yeah. I have covered a lot of athletes over my career. Okay. I've sat uh, with Bill Russell. Wow. I've sat with Shaquille O'Neal. I've, I've sat with Jim Brown. I'm talking about iconic people. Wow. All right. And very few of them open up themselves because it's risky. When you open up yourself as a public figure, particularly as an athlete, sure. it's very vulnerable because people rip you to shreds. Yes, right? scary. So very... what you're doing here is very risky. It's very brave. Okay. But I'd like to encourage you to stay the course. Yeah. Stay the course. You're going to have days where you're going to question yourself. Right. But not every ball is going to come at you where you want it, right? right. Some might come a little high, right? It. And you you might miss it. Go back and get it. So stay the course. Continue doing what you're doing. And uh, I, I, I think uh, you're on the right path. You're on your path. Okay.